It's good to be back with you after some absence. Uh, thanks to Pastor uh, Josh for inviting me. It's good to see Pastor Stephen here. It's hard to believe it's been three years since uh, he came. And uh, good to see all of you. Um, uh, we're continuing our studies uh, about Jesus, and I'm glad to see that you guys are focusing on this very important uh, topic, and you've done so for, I believe, 20-some uh, sermons now. Uh, but I hope he never gets old. I hope we never get old of learning more about Jesus when he has done. And this morning I'm going to focus on the passage from the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 1, in verse 40. And there are two back-to-back miracles that we see here Jesus doing. First is the healing of the leper, and second is the healing of the paralytic man. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll start in verse 40. So there are two stories, so I'm going to focus on them separately. First of all, I want us to see the master's touch, both in the first passage and then Jesus' forgiving sins and healing in the second one. But the first one that talks about cleansing a leper starts in verse 40. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But... He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The first thing I want us to see is the need for Jesus' touch. That's what we see at the beginning in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We are not told the name of the leper. We are not told how long he has had uh, leprosy. uh, Because all those things are not important. What is important is to see that this man had a problem. And he he knew where to go with it. That's the most important thing. He saw the need for Jesus' touch. He knew that Jesus can heal him. And he went to Jesus. Now leprosy again is not something very common in today's world. But it was back then. Actually during the time of Moses... This is what we read in the book of Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Now, so leprosy is basically a, at least back then it was used for a variety of skin diseases. And again, I thought, well, this was just a case of the past. Actually, in doing research, I found out there are are at least 4 million people today in the world that suffer from leprosy. 4 million people. And I want us to understand, this was not, not just a disease, it was a sentence. 
a sentence. And Jesus approaches this man with leprosy. Actually, the leper approaches Jesus first. This leper is willing to break the law of Moses to go to Jesus. You see, you see the, the rabbis made the law even stricter. The, the Bible said that you couldn't touch someone. Because you became, if you had a leprosy. But the rabbis made the laws stricter. They said that even if a leper looked inside a house, that house became unclean. That's how the rabbis kind of like to do things. Uh, it, it was even illegal to say hi to the leper. They took the law of Moses and made, made it even stricter. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said that these lepers, in effect, were dead men walking. Men with a sentence for death. He is dressed, the Bible says, like going to a burial. The problem is it's his own burial. And notice again, he doesn't say, I'm okay. He doesn't say, well, there are other lepers in this town. He doesn't say that. He says, I know there is a Jesus who can heal me, so I'm going to go to him. He sees the need for Jesus' touch. And then we see Jesus in action. We see the compassion of Jesus' touch. Filled with compassion or moved with pity. Another version says, read Jesus, reached out, he sent him, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Let me ask you, does Jesus heal the leper because the leper has some merit? Is Jesus healing the leper because this leper is better than another leper? No. This guy doesn't have any merit. And yet Jesus heals him because what Jesus feels is compassion. That's what drives Jesus' ministry. The love for people and the compassion for the people. And Jesus doesn't just say, oh, yeah, I feel sorry for you. I hope you feel better someday. No. The compassion in Jesus' heart moves him to action and the man is healed. That's why it's not enough for us to say, I am sorry for all the people who are suffering with hunger. The compassion in our heart needs to move us to do something about that. It's not enough to say, I feel compassion for all the Christians that are killed in Iraq today. We have to do something about it. I understand we can't save everybody. I understand we cannot feed everybody. But we can feed one person. And we can pray for one person who is suffering. Maybe write a letter. If you just don't go to persecution.com. You can actually write letters in their own language. For all these people who are in prison for their faith today. You can't save them all. But you can do something for them. But we need that compassion. And if we don't have that compassion, we need to ask Jesus to give that compassion in our hearts. So we can be like Jesus and feel for these people and then do something about it. Jesus has compassion and then he heals the man. I like how Max Lucero imagines the scene. And how this leper felt. Max Lucado writes, for five, for five years, no one touched me. Not one. Not one person. Not my wife. Not my child. Not my friends. No one touched me. They saw me. They spoke to me. I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes. But I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch. Not once. No one touched me. What is common to you, I coveted. 
handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. No one bumped into me. What I would have given to be bumped into, to be cut in a crowd, for my shoulder to brush against another's. But for five years it has not happened. How could it? I was not allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in my synagogue, not even welcomed in my own house. I was untouchable. I was a leper and no one touched me until today. And this man is healed because Jesus touches him. Verse 42 says, Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Reading this verse, Bill Gaither was inspired to write a song that some of you that have gray hair like me remember. He touched me. I know how many of you remember that song. How many of you remember that you have hymnals in your pews? <laughs> Young people, do you know what this is? A hymnal. Can you take it out? Turn to 628. And let's sing just one verse of the song that... Bill Gator wrote, 1963, ancient history for some of you. touches the leper and he is healed and then follows a very unusual request Jesus says to him do not after he touches him and after he is healed Jesus sent him away once with a strong warning see that you don't tell this to anyone but show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, I don't know why Jesus said that. Some people say, Jesus was using reverse psychology. <laughs> uh, I doubt it. But anyway, I, I don't know why. But I, I know that he didn't listen. And I think in this case, was a good thing. He didn't, in, in a way, it was a good thing. And I'll explain why later. But he actually doesn't do that. 
He doesn't do what Jesus says. He wants to tell people that he was unclean and now he is clean. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Did you catch that? Where was Jesus? First Jesus was with the people and the leper was in desolate places. But after Jesus heals the leper... Jesus is out in desolate places and the leper is now with the people. Jesus and the leper trade places. Did you catch that? That's what Jesus came to do. To trade places with the leper like us. With sinful people. He exchanges his righteousness for our sinfulness. That's what Jesus came to do. He trades places with the leper. And now Jesus is on the outside and the leper is on the inside. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's why we need to have the zeal to tell people what Jesus has done for us. And that's our first application for today. We need to tell what people has done for us. If Jesus healed the disease called sin, we have to tell a lost people that Jesus can save again. It's like just like we sang. Jesus saves. Tell the people that. You know, sometimes we assume that people know. (laughs) They don't know. I was preaching in another church and a lady came to me afterwards and said, I was confronted, I was at a table with a couple of homosexuals and they, they looked at me and they said, so do you think we're going to hell? <laughs> and the lady said, no, you're not going to hell for being a homosexual, you're going to hell. I, I, I don't want you to go to hell, so I want to tell you about Jesus. And that guy said to her, nobody ever told me about Jesus. We assume people know about Jesus. And we assume people know what Jesus has done. But they don't know. We have to tell them. And by the way, there's not one right way to do it. In the Bible we see some people are more confrontational than others. For example, Paul is very confrontational. And in Acts 2 he says, repent and be baptized. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That, you can do it that way. You can do it in an intellectual way. Some of you like philosophy and like to talk about Things like that. In Acts 17, Paul debated with the philosophers on Mars Hill to talk about Jesus. And the Bible says later that some believed. Maybe your style is like that. Or maybe yours is testimonial. Like this guy. And like in John chapter 9. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. You don't need a degree, a seminary degree to tell them that. All you need is a life change. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And now he saved me when I was 6 or I was 7, when I was 13. Whenever you were saved, just tell him what Jesus has done for you. Or maybe it's relational. And I think all of us can do this. After Jesus heals the demon possessed man in Mark chapter 5, Jesus says to him, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And I say, well, well, Tiberius, so if I do that, people will fall to their knees and repent. Some will. But I'm here to tell you, most of them won't. The Bible says most people will reject the gospel message. And most people will reject Jesus. And even though they know that Jesus can forgive sin, uh, they will reject Jesus. Most people will. I had people who got upset with me when I was showing them on a college campus back in California. Pagan, secular campus. They got upset with me for telling them the good news that Jesus died for their sin. (laughs) Why do you get upset with me for telling me the good news? Telling you the good news. 
You got to get used to it. And nothing should surprise you anymore. But our job is not to convince them. Our job is to tell them. Just like this leper told them, Jesus healed me. And He can heal you too. And if you're not saved, if you're here this morning, and you still have that disease called sin, it's worse than leprosy. It's even worse than the Ebola virus. Because this one will kill you, not just for time, but it will kill you for eternity. Sin will kill you. Satan doesn't just want to hurt you. Satan wants to kill you forever. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus died on the cross even for your sins and even for mine. And there's salvation through Jesus Christ. If you are not saved here this morning, seek Jesus' touch. Ask for His forgiveness. One scholar puts it like this. The miracles in this section also reveal that Jesus is not someone who is aloof, inaccessible, or detached. Our culture does not touch, and many people live in isolation from others. We seal ourselves off from one another with our privacy fences and retreat to the inner sanctum of the family room. The church is sometimes in danger of doing the same by retreating to its members only. Fully equipped family life center, which becomes a safe cocoon from contact with the harsh realities of a disease-ridden, sin-sick world. We want others quarantined from us so that they will not infect us. But those who bear the name of Christ need to minister in the name of their Lord to those who are the untouchables in our society. Jesus died so you don't have to be a a leper anymore. He trades places with you. You should have died for your sin. I should have died for my sin, but Jesus died for our sin and he trades places with us. Look, please, in chapter 2. Let's move on to the next one. I understand Josh preaches a little longer. I'm going to try to make it a little shorter today. I know some of you have tea times. I know. And other important things like that. Lunch appointments. Okay. But I want us to move from that miracle to the second miracle. Look in chapter 2, please. There's another miracle happening. And I want us to see, starting in verse 1. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, he was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And the first thing I want us to see the action of these men. And again, the main character of the story are not the men, by the way. The main character of the story is not even the paralytic. The main character of the story is still Jesus. But I want us to see that these, there are these four men who are doing something. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Let me ask you, what are their names? Anybody know their names? <laughs> oh, no. There are four anonymous men because, again, they're not important in the story. Or at least not that important. The most important person is still Jesus. But these men are important because we see their action. Jesus preaches to them and then... Imagine the, imagine Jesus would preach in a church like this and all of a sudden the service gets interrupted and they, a paralytic comes to the roof. Okay, assuming that there's no room uh, to come in. I want us to see that actually this action, while important, it was not as hard as taking apart this roof. It's not that bad. Uh, this is a roof uh, basically in the first century. But I want us to see 
not just the action of these men, the, the creativity of the four men. They could not get near him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I was uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, I was in Israel last month, just a couple of weeks before war broke out. And one of the things that you can see there is a first century house. And this is kind of how the, look, the roof looked like. So this was a window. Again, they didn't have glass windows. A window was just an opening in the wall. And then the roof was basically a couple of beams across, and then smaller beams on this side, and then clay in between. So to take apart the roof would not be as hard as taking apart this roof. I want us to understand that. But at the same time, I want us to understand the creativity of these men. Because they can't get the men through the door. They're thinking, we got to come up with a solution. Well, we're going to do it through the roof. Be creative. Don't let anybody tell you there's only one way to preach. Don't let anybody tell you there's only one way to sing. Oh, this morning we sang from something called a hymnal. <laughs> you know, some people say that's the only way to sing. I'm here to tell you that's not the only way to sing. Be creative. Use guitars. Use whatever. Sometimes use the piano. Be creative. Don't do it the same way all the time. It gets boring. Be creative. Have you heard that there's only one way to preach? Hopefully not in seminary. But some people say, oh, the only way to preach is verse by verse. What? Tell that to Jesus. Jesus never preached verse by verse. You might say, oh, well, you're not Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Look at Paul. There's not only one way to preach. Sometimes you've got to preach topically. Okay, today we're going to talk about baptism. That's Okay. And you can go all over the Bible and see what the Bible says about baptism. It's okay to preach sometimes creatively and to preach on a... Just take one verse and preach from that verse the entire time. That's okay. Nowhere in the Bible will you see there's only one way to preach. Nowhere in the Bible will you see there's only one way to sing. By the way, do you know that the book of Psalms was a book for singing? Now let me ask you, where is the music? Where is the sheet music for it? We don't have it. Thank God we don't have it. Because if we had the people who say, well, there's the only way we can sing. Oh man, that would be boring. To sing a song back from 3,000 years ago somewhere in Israel, that would be boring. Let the people be creative. Be creative when you preach. Be creative when you teach. Be creative when you sing. These guys were creative. Not only did they bring this man. By the way, we don't know if they were his friends. We don't know anything about these guys. But these guys knew that Jesus can heal, and they brought him to Jesus. Again, that's what the important thing is. Jesus can heal, we're going to bring him to Jesus. Do so creatively. Whenever you can't fit through the door, look for a window. And then if you can't fit it through the window, look for a roof. Do, do something creative. And also I like their perseverance. Look at the perseverance of the, of the four men. When they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they laid down the man on which the paralytic lay. They don't give up. Let me ask you, did you ever give up in ministry? Don't, don't raise your hand. Did you, did you ever want to give up? I met with the former student who was a pastor in a church and he said to me two weeks ago I just wanted to quit turn in my resignation I, 
I'm done. I'm glad he didn't do it. But sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes we feel like giving up. Have you ever prayed for a person that's not a believer, maybe a family member, and you said in in your heart, I'm going to pray, but there's no way this person will ever become saved. Have you ever done that? Don't raise your hand. I've done it. I've done it. I had a friend who I grew up with in church, and the guy went in all types of drugs, women. You can't even imagine it. And in my heart, I was praying, but I was saying in my heart, there's no way this guy can become saved. But I'm glad my brother didn't give up on him, and my brother kept praying and fasting for him. And I'm here to tell you that this guy came back and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ because someone persevered to pray and to fast. Never give up. It might be impossible with men, Jesus says, but not impossible with God. One such man was George Mueller. You probably heard of George Mueller. He was born in Germany, but lived in England back in the 19th century. He, he's best known for the fact that he cared for more than 100,000 orphans in his lifetime. He started with 50 cents in his pocket, but did not give up. And by the end of life, he raised $7 million. We're talking about 19th century. $7 million to... Su- to feed orphans. He, he never gave up. Also, he, he had friends that were unbelievers. And he, he had friends that took 25 years for one to become a believer. 25 years. Can you imagine praying for someone for 25 years? George Mueller did it. But he became a believer. One got saved after 10 years. One friend, you ready for this? Got saved after George Mueller died. Sometimes you won't see the fruit of your praying and of your labor. But you have to keep on doing it. You have to persevere. And again, I come back to the idea of of these men. We don't know their names because they're not important. They're anonymous. I remember growing up, uh, I grew up in Romania, and my my parents forced me to go to music school so I can learn how to play the piano. I hated it. I would rather be outside playing soccer than be in the house practicing piano. But after I, I was done with school, after eighth grade, I... I decided to take the hymnal and just play it for fun because I liked some of the hymns. And as I was playing these hymns, I found that one of the composers, a very talented guy, his name was Anon, A-N-O-N. <laughs> man, I was thinking, man, this guy is very talented. He, he wrote a lot of music. I found out later that Anon was an abbreviation for Anonymous. A lot of the songs that we sing, we don't know who wrote them. A lot of the great hymns of the faith, we don't know who wrote them. They're anonymous men and women who wrote music for the glory of God. And you know what? That's not important. The important thing is that we sing, we still sing these songs. Today, with all the copyrights, we know everybody. We know who writes the song. It's at the end of every song. But I'm here to tell you that probably we're going to get to heaven. 
and be surprised about the older anonymous people in heaven who've done great things for the kingdom of God. Their names were not on a marquee and nobody knew their names. They're in this church, probably widows, who give more to missions than you ever will. And than you will ever know. But these are people who want to stay anonymous and they want to persevere. And a very interesting verse, verse 5. Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Again, Jesus, just like in the story of the leper, it's not enough for Jesus to, to see this man that, the needs, that has a need. Jesus sees both the physical and the spiritual need in this man. So he takes care of the spiritual need first. We are reminded of what James writes in his letter. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have the works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by, uh, by itself, if it doesn't, does not have works, is dead. These men have a, a living faith. They believe that Jesus can save. They take the man and bring him to Jesus. They act. They're creative. They, they persevere. And Jesus sees their faith. And only after that, Jesus heals. Please, please notice. Jesus forgives and Jesus heals. But only after these men do their, do their work. I want you to imagine that you're the paralytic, you're in front of Jesus, and you expect Jesus to say something, and you expect what? You expect Him to say what? Be healed, right? <laughs> and Jesus doesn't do that. He says, your sins are forgiven. I'm like, what? Jesus gives him something he did not expect. And the scribes that are around there, of course, they complain. Some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? One scholar says, says it like this, What began as a heartwarming healing has suddenly become a perilous confrontation over religious authority. Please understand, these scribes knew their theology. They were great at theology. They knew that only God can forgive sins. They, they were great at theology. Actually, the Bible says that, that only God can forgive sins. In Exodus 34, verse 6 and, 6 and 7, it says very clearly that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. They knew theology. What's the problem? They cannot go from here to here. They have theology, but they don't have compassion. They have theology, but they don't have love in their hearts for this man. They cannot put two and two together. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to him, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, rise, take up your bed, and walk? By the way, which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or be healed? Your sins are forgiven. It's harder. Because only God can forgive sins. But humanly speaking, healing was just as hard. But Jesus does both. He says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The paralytic gets physical healing. And he gets spiritual healing. Your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus can do both and Jesus wants to do both. Again, the question is, and this is the question I'm going to leave you with. There's two questions. The first one is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a man? Is he just a prophet? Jesus says himself, but you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, he says, so you know that I am God. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose, by the way, the Bible says, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. A man is healed spiritually and physically because there were four anonymous men who were willing to act, who were willing to be creative, who were willing to persevere, and who were willing to bring him to Jesus. Are we like those men? Are we willing to be anonymous? Or I won't do anything unless my name is on the program. I won't do anything unless my name is on. Well, I don't think God wants people like that. I think in the Bible I see people who are willing to do things for the glory of God without their name being on a marquee. And without their names being on the program. There's nothing wrong with your name being on the program. But if that's all, the only reason you would do something, you're very wrong. People that I want to stay anonymous and they want to work for the glory of God. That's the kind of people God once. So the question is this. Who is Jesus to you? And the last question I want to close with is, is Jesus your Savior? See, the question is not if Jesus is the Savior, because Jesus is the Savior. The question is, is Jesus your Savior? Some people say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus Savior. I'm going to make Jesus Master. You don't have that authority. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and God made Him Lord. The question is, are you going to submit under His authority? That's the question. He is Savior and He is Lord. Are you going to accept it? Are you going to submit under His authority? That's the question. Is He going to be your Savior? Think about this. When did Jesus say that He has authority to forgive sins? Before or after He died on the cross? He said that before He died on the cross for our sins. He said He has authority to forgive sins. Imagine how much more authority does He have today after He died on the cross for our sins to forgive those sins. Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus says, I have authority to forgive sins before He dies on the cross, how much more authority does He have now that He did die on on the cross for our sins? How much more power, how much more authority that He did that? If you don't have forgiveness of sin and eternal life, Jesus can offer them to you today. And He can heal you of your spiritual leprosy called sin. And He can heal you of your spiritual paralysis called sin. But if you're not saved, I'm here to tell you that Jesus can still save. He can still forgive sins. I I, I can't promise you that, you know... At work, everything will go better and you'll become the vice president of your company and all that. God never promises that. He promises two things. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life. You want those? That's what He's offering. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life. If not, you're just going to live with the guilt and the shame of your sin if you don't let Jesus take it away. And again, the challenge for you, my dear brothers and sisters, 
seek to be anonymous. Seek to be anonymous to bring men and women to Jesus. Act. Be creative. Persevere. Until these people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for Jesus. The Lion Man of Judah. Who came to seek and to save that which was lost. He traded places with the leper and he trades places with us still. He died on a cross for my sin and for our sin. I pray that you put in our hearts compassion. I, I pray that you put in our hearts a desire to see lost men and women saved. Men and women who are sick with a disease called sin. You want them to see forgiven. I pray that you will give us the power and the strength and the compassion to act and to be creative and to persevere. Until these people will receive what you're offering. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.